Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hi, I'm Pav. And I'm Neil. And welcome to the Top 10 of Anything podcast. Let's start the countdown! 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Hello and Happy New Year to all of our listeners. It's me, Neil. And it's me, Neil, on my own at the moment, apart from our guest. So uh, a little bit of an update quickly for you all out there with Pav. He's just having a bit of a break, bit of a step back, a bit of a recuperation after a nasty little bout of coughs and tickles and all of those things. But as ever, I'm here as our trusted host and we'll get straight into it. So great movies are great movies and many great movies get sequel after sequel. Some great movies and some not so great also get remade. Now, sometimes this works, sometimes it doesn't, but we're going to count down our top 10. I'm joined by the top head, Doug Simpson. Hello, Doug. Hey, buddy. How you doing? Uh, Very well. Happy New Year to you. Happy New Year back to you, yeah? You had a yeah. good time? Uh, it was very good, over too quick. When's it acceptable not to say Happy New Year into January to somebody? Or is it all the way through January? Oh, well, I'll just say it right through the year to everyone I haven't seen. Yeah. <laughs> we'll, get, we'll get to this December um, next year. We'll get to December this year. I'll probably still be um, seeing people I've not seen. Yeah, I know. Well, next the Christmas will come around all too quick again for us, won't it? Uh, really well. So, Doug, I've got a few facts. We're here to talk about the top 10 movie remakes or our our decision, what our top 10s are. So I'll give you some facts. So number one, on average, Hollywood waits about 23 years before producing a remake of an original film. Number two, the 2000s saw the most remakes of any decade, with an average of 19 a year. In 2005, a record-breaking 33 remakes made it to the big screen. Number three, the Rollerball 2002 remake is voted the worst remake of all time, according to IMDb. Yeah. But number four, the Lion King live-action remake is the most successful remake so far, taking in over $1 billion in 2019. Mm. 
At number five, A Christmas Carol is considered the movie that's been retold the most or remade the most. 1901, 1935, 1903 Too many Jawses. There's only one Jaws. Number nine, Some Like It Hot was voted the best English language remake in an online poll. It's considered one of the best comedies of all time based on the French film Fanfare d'Amour. And at number 10, Tamil superstar Ranjin Kanth, I hope I pronounced that right, who appeared in over 260 films in his career, has made more than 60 remakes from various languages. So fair play to him. Now, Doug, how did you find this making your list? Um, it wasn't as difficult as last time I came to it with you. Obviously, last time we did uh, Simpsons episodes, and that I, I broke my own heart on a regular basis mm. uh, putting that list together with what I took out. But there's five or six in here that I think I knew were always going to be uh, sort of top six, top seven, and it was just putting them in order. Um, but then I just I sort of had like. Uh, a long list of about 15 to 20. And then a few people said, oh, what about this? What about that? And a few that they said, uh, they mentioned, I'll give you some examples, got me thinking maybe in the future we could do the top 10 worst remakes. Um, may, may, I might save them for later because if I say them now and then I realise that they're in your top 10 for tonight, that's going to be... Oh, no, I think we should save it. I think that's a great idea for a next yeah. episode. And we'll definitely get you on for that one. I mean, I was surprised at how many films, without even looking them up, that I loved that I knew were remakes. I mean, my number one, obviously, straight away, I knew was my number one. But also, I was surprised at the number of films that I didn't realise were remakes as well, when I had a deep dive. Yeah, there's um, definitely a few on this list that I watched um, for different reasons, not thinking of them as remakes at all. Um, well, like, yeah. And I think that is a generational thing for me as well. Um, because some of them are based on films that came out, uh, you know, a long time ago. And um, I don't want to give too much away, but I think there's films in this list that they serve a purpose as a remake, but also as a, a continuation of a franchise, should we say. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And sometimes um, films are classed as a standalone film, but they're quite clearly a remake of ones before. I mean, they can be a bit um, contentious, I think. Um Things like The Evil Dead to The Evil Dead 2, I think, is a remake, but nobody classes it as a remake. So I haven't put it in there or anything, but those ones yeah, be interesting to see what people think. Well, I was going to ask, did you find that? Because I've also got a list of things that are not would not be defined as remakes, but I, I think sort of are in a way. Um, like I, I mean, I, I put The Force Awakens, um, not technically a remake but it also is so uh, a remake of a new hope and I'm uh... not, this is not me slating it um it, i think it's just a really obvious example of where uh, a story's been retold and that's that's what um 
I had to look at, you know, you've got your remakes, but you've got your reboots. Yeah, exactly. And I actually wrote my dissertation on intertextuality in Hollywood. Um, so why, you know, why there's a felt like there's a lack of original ideas in, in Hollywood and in cinema. Um, now, at the time I was writing it, it was 2016 and 17. Um, those two worst years of my life um, writing that thing. Um I think if I was doing it today, it'd be a lot more about reboots um, and about uh, how franchise of, franchises have developed, um, you know, with Disney Plus, Netflix, mm. and original series. So I think, like, you, you mentioned it in your facts. Was it 2005? Um, I think you said there's, like, nine, like, 19 remakes or something. Yeah, yeah. 33 remakes in 33 one year. Christ, yeah. yeah. So maybe, and we'll see, maybe we could look at the years that all our top 10 fall in. I imagine there'd be one or two crossovers. I should imagine. We'll we'll establish like a golden age of remake as well. Yeah, yeah. No, it'll be interesting to see. Absolutely. Well, with that said, should we fire straight into our top, our number 10s? Uh, Yeah. So, I mean, obviously Pav's not here. So do you want to go first or shall I go first? You go first, Doug. Guess first. Okie doke. Right. Well, um, let's do it then. So my number 10, uh, and this is one that went, no, quite, not quite to first, but uh, it was always in the frame. Um, King Kong, Peter Jackson, 2005. Yeah. Uh, okay. So this, uh, we, we look, talked about um, briefly about, you know, where remakes come from, why they get made. I think the obvious reason for this, uh, it's how how much technology had changed between 1937 and 2005. Um, and if we watch this King Kong from 2005 now, it probably still, the technology's got even better. The CGI nowadays is still better. So there's a few things in there that look a bit silly, but at its time, uh, I think it just looked amazing. It was everything mm. I wanted it to be. It was Peter Jackson uh, got approached to make it actually before uh, Lord of the Rings. Which um, Im- I mean, imagine if that had happened if he'd gone and done this King Kong film before, you know, all the stuff that he did, uh, creating Middle Earth, and I-, I know a lot of Lord of the Rings is not CGI; it's mm. amazing makeup and everything. But he also broke boundaries with CGI. Of course, uh, probably the best bit of that was Andy Serkis as Gollum. Yeah, and absolutely. Because the um, motion capture of Gollum is uh, of King Kong, sorry, is of course once again Andy Serkis, mm. um, who's like I was listening to a podcast a bit ago um, where they said he's the best actor in the film, and actually, yeah, you know, quite possibly argue that he is as as Kong. He also has a, a second role as the cook on the ship. That's right. Um, really, it was another groundbreaking thing for him, as if what he'd done with Gollum wasn't already amazing enough. Mm. Just his King Kong is fantastic. He gets him so right, so emotional. You got the whole Beauty and the Beast narrative going on with Andaro. And um, it's, yeah, I mean, he just absolutely nails that. Um, And there's other bits I like a bit. A lot of people aren't too pleased that they cast Jack Black as um, Carl Denham. I really like (laughs) Jack Black as Carl Denham. Yeah. It's um, roughly uh, the same time as School of Rock. I want to say it was School of Rock maybe... 2004, wasn't it? School of Rock, 2003, School of Rock. Oh, was it? Okay. Uh, So, yes, Jack Black straight out of School of Rock, Peter Jackson straight out of Lord of the Rings, and then Mm. 
he plays basically plays the same won't take no for an answer sort of character um and i just find that hilarious but i can see why other people would say he's miscast but um well i, I agree that's, with that's you i think it was quite refreshing to see him in the movie to be honest i mean if i had to complain about i do like the movie king kong there's a couple of bits that i would complain a couple of things i should say rather than bits the length is just a bit too long for me and the other bit is the bit where Kong is on Skull Island and he's fighting the dinosaurs. I got very yeah. confused what was going on. But like you said, you can see the amazing advances in CGI and where, where it's leading us now. But my only thing was I'm glad he didn't make it before Lord of the Rings because like you said, I think he would have been his head would have been turned and we would have had a Hobbit-style Lord of the Rings. Yeah, yeah And exactly. I, I'm not a huge fan of the Hobbit. Um, it's too CGI. It, it's like watching a cartoon, isn't it? A video game. And um, I think someone made a really good analogy that after when Kong falls off the Empire State Building, that was Jackson's career falling off after the high <laughs> of, of Lord of the Rings, which I, I don't know. I mean, I, I I thought the Hobbit films had a lot of pressure on them and there's the CGI is disappointing. And of course... Mm. A big reason for that, I think, is the fact that 3D cinema was a thing, which it wasn't um, when no. the Rings came out. So Ian McKellen, instead of all this clever cinematography, he was having to film on green screen mm. um, because he's not. So, uh, you know, the actors playing the dwarfs are probably taller than him. Um, and But I, to be fair, I did. I am geeky enough. I've got the extended versions of The Hobbit and I've watched all the documentary behind it. There's a lot of makeup, of really good makeup, but it looks CGI. And I can't yeah, right. get my head up. You know, like the goblins in um, yeah. it's not Moria, is it? But wherever the goblins are in the first Hobbit film. And they're um yeah, it's, it's some really good makeup, but it it does just look CGI and it looks tacky and you don't you don't invest in it. Whereas I mean the orcs in um in the Lord of the Rings are terrifying. Mm. But I wonder if it if it changed the look of the film. We'll talk about the Hobbit now still, but whether it changed the look of the Hobbit. Um, filming in that faster frame rate that he did it in. Um, I mean, yeah. I'm not technically advanced enough to know about that, but I did go and watch The Hobbit, the first one, An Unexpected Journey at the Cinema. I didn't do that with the other two, which is bizarre. Uh -huh. But I'm a huge fan of Lord of the Rings. So, And I'm a huge fan of Peter Jackson. I like like The Frighteners and stuff like that. And his um, Get Back, that documentary he's just done for Apple TV, um, not Apple TV, Disney Plus, sorry. <laughs> Beyond the Beatles is just sublime and beautiful. And that World War One um thing where he colorized it was so I uh, hopefully we'll see a great movie again from Peter Jackson. I'm sure yeah. we And if, if we don't see another epic fantasy thing, you know, he's done it like arguably as well as it'll ever get done. Um, mm. so yeah, just let him let him quit while he's ahead. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Right, so my number 10, I've gone for a horror film. Um, I've spoken about this before on many podcasts, so I, I, of these podcasts, so I, I won't bore too much, but it's The Grudge 2004 remake, well, Into the American Language remake with Sarah Michelle Gellar. I thought they did a very good job. I'm a huge fan of the Japanese uh, ghost story, The Grudge. Um, and I thought they did a very good job with, with the Sarah Michelle Gellar one. Have you seen this one? I haven't, no. Is this... So would that be Sarah Michelle Gellis, um straight out of Buffy? Um, or is Buffy... I think she was still making Buffy when she did this. I mean, it was the height yeah. of the Sarah Michelle Gellar, you know, phase yeah. when everybody wanted her and loved her. 
Oh yeah, I mean Scooby Doo, you know. Yeah, <laughs> which I actually I don't mind that Scooby Doo. I'm going to be controversial. A lot of people hate it, but I think it's really funny. But this grudge, it, it's what I call a um, safe, quite scary ghost story, like your woman in black. It, I introduced it to um, my daughter, probably a bit too young. It's fifteen certificate, and I introduced it to her when she was about thirteen or whatever, and she. Yeah, it scared the bejesus out of her and her friends, but not in the sense of grossed her out or shocked her that she couldn't go to bed and go to sleep. You know, I wasn't exposing her to some extreme horror here. And it's very well played. And I'm not a huge fan of uh, horror stories or ghost stories that have the quiet, quiet, bang, jump effect yeah. to try and scare you. It doesn't scare me. It'll make me jump, but it doesn't scare me. I like the psychological thing. So that's why I like The Grudge. It's got a good story. It doesn't rely on cheap scares. It does creep you out, especially when you see the girl. I mean, typical Japanese horror with the long black hair and the shuffling walk. And where where is... what? When was the original? So, oh, I'm not too sure. I think it's like 2000. So yeah. it's not... Oh, so and, not long after. Yeah, and the, uh, the remake is actually directed by the same guy that made the original. So they stuck with him. I know they did that before. I can't think of his name with The Vanishing and they remade that into Hollywood. And But Hollywood got their hands on it and totally fucked the, um, the ending up, which is one I of the most shocking endings. Interesting, because you, that fact you mentioned, there's like an average 20 years normally between uh, mm. the original remake, but there's there's one or two I've seen that it's, they're very, very close together. Um, but that's the first time I've known they'd be so close together and it'd be the same director. Yeah, and also you know you have you have your remakes where it's something brand new, different studio. But was it was it the same same production company? Um, well, it was under Universal, so yeah. probably not. I don't know who it was under when he made it in Japan or, or the Japanese version. But yeah, the, I mean they just let him do it and do it properly um, and tell their story. I don't know, you know, like I said, you hear of other Hollywood movies that have been remade from the original language version, and they just get too involved they don't let the director keep his vision you know they think they want to hollywoodize it or american or english make it more english or american whatever it just doesn't work when they do that you need the director just to have his own path and do what he does best but yeah i really enjoy that i had to put it in there because i watched it again recently and i thought yeah that's a good good little ghost story i enjoy a good ghost story is it on um one of the many streaming services. I'm not entirely sure. I'll be with Maybe you, honest with you, Dad. Yeah, it'll probably be on something out there. <laughs> I'll, uh, I'll wander down to CEX. Um, I mean, yeah. yeah, it's a film where the original isn't based on any kind of like gothic novel either. It's it was written to be. Yeah, it's yeah, it's full out there because Japanese do horror. I think one of the masters of great horror. Because, like I say, they don't rely on the the old traits that American English films just seem to do. So, and I wonder whether it didn't find the audience because a lot of people I know just can't seem to cope with subtitles. They, um, um, uh, my girlfriend's one of them. She absolutely hates them, mm. and I, I've got, um, I, I, I don't know. I, it, it depends what we're watching. If it's something we've seen before, then it's fine. But I, I quite like them. I don't like them with comedy. Because I don't want the punchlines to get ruined. Right, yeah, I understand even that. Even if it's something I've seen, even if watching this country, which you've, you know, obviously seen 
mm. a dozen times. I um, yeah, I don't want the subtitles for that. No, no. I mean, obviously, I don't put them on if I'm watching an English spoken thing. I mean, maybe one day when I get a bit older, I probably have to. <laughs> Either that or one of those sort of loop things that you put by your TV so you can hear everything. So, Doug, what's your number nine? Number nine is 2003 Freaky Friday. Oh, Lindsay Lohan. Lindsay Lohan and Jamie Lee Curtis. Um, so this film was 20 years old last year. Um, it's unbelievable, isn't it? I remember it when he came to the cinema. Or, yeah, I think I think I I'm pretty sure me and my sister were in the cinema. I think it was a real um, like favorite when when we were mm. little. And um, it's a film that it's one of the ones we meant. You know, we've mentioned as films that we saw for what they are, rather than because we'd seen the original. This is definitely one of them. Uh, this is one when I was looking back, realized actually it is a remake. Um, the original came out in '77, and I think the novel that it's based on came out in '72. Right, okay. Fairly fast turnaround. Mm. Uh, and they've done another one recently, haven't they? They've changed the premise a little bit, but they've just called it Freaky. Have you seen this? Oh, is that... I, I've heard of a thing called Freaky. Is it... A... With Vince Vaughn. It's, he's a serial killer, and they swap places, like Freaky Friday, but rather than oh, just God's the sake. mother and daughter, they've done a serial killer and somebody. But they actually yeah. say it's very funny and very uh, okay, good. yeah. No, do you know what? Yeah, I uh, it's got eighty three percent on Rotten Tomatoes. Maybe. Yeah, they yeah. do say it's very good. Because I mean, Vince Vaughn remake. I just think of Psycho. And <laughs> yeah. And just, Which is when I was looking at my facts, I thought that Psycho would probably be voted the worst remake of all time. Um, but no, it was rollable. But yeah, it's awful that Psycho. No, I mean to be fair with Psycho. Um, I know. I think it was the year after Hitchcock died. They did make Psycho two, and they brought back Anthony Hopkins mm. and um, come on, brain. Uh, I want. Is it Vera Miles? Uh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, I, I actually don't think that's a bad film. No, uh, un- underrated sequels. We could do another time, but um, yeah, Freaky Friday. I since seeing that film. So when I was ten ish, um, I've often, often, often thought. Jesus Christ, what if um, I had to go into my mum's work, you know, like as hell, my dad's work as him and like put myself in their shoes. But what would be scaring me even more is the idea of them going to my school and being with my friends, knowing like um, that they'd find out what weird, horrible people I'm hanging with and what <laughs> what, what kids today are like. Um, and uh, yeah, of all, uh, you know, I'm sure. There's definitely other films that I could think of that might make you imagine how crazy it'd be to live in someone else's shoes for a day. Um, but that's the first film that ever gave me that thought. Uh, I think they both act really well. I mean, this is, um, you know, peak Lindsay Lohan era, the noughties, because uh, it was a year before Mean Girls um, and she did Just My Look. Um, but to be honest, I don't think the parent trap was that many years before. So this is 2003. Um, and yes, five years earlier, she'd been playing the twins in the parent mm. trap. Um, and obviously, you know, she had a, a personal problems after that. But uh, I'm seeing she's, you know, starting to do pretty well again, which is really good to see. Yeah. Um, Have you seen the original? She's one of many uh, child actors like Macaulay Culkin, to name another obvious example, who you know, really struggled after, you know, fame 
Mm. Yeah, it was a sad decline, wasn't it? You know, it really was watching somebody getting out of control, and it always is. But yeah, like you said, she's making sort of a a name for herself again, and hopefully combated her demons. But we'll have to wait and see. Bless her, because yeah. I think she was a cracking actress when she was younger. Yeah, I mean, all, all these films that she's in, like her and um, I'll be uh, again. There's a few on this list where I've not really, I've either seen the original once, I've not seen it at all. But I mean, her, uh, she and um, Jamie Lee Curtis both act really, really well. Um, it's, you know, the family, the granddad and the new partner and the brother, they're in it a little bit, but really it's those two. Yeah. Uh, just acting brilliantly. And um, it's a really nice family story. You know, they're dealing with loss of her uh, dad and her husband, respectively. Mm. Um, so there's quite an emotional side, but it's just, it's very funny and uh, it's very quotable. It is very funny. Um, yeah, very well performed by both of them. Did you, um, like uh, I asked just now, and sorry to repeat myself, but did you um, see the original, have you seen the original since? Uh, the original Freaky Friday, I've not, no. No, it's worth checking out, Jodie Foster, isn't it? It is Jodie Foster, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's been a long time since I've seen that. In the days of those old VHS Disney films that used to come out, you used to get all sorts of them, didn't you? All, all in the same sort of packaging with just the picture on. If you remember those Disney films, and they, um, what was it? They had uh, it was. I always remember in the video shop, Peach Dragon in the same format. A film called Dragon Slayer. If you remember that, I've yeah, seen it a couple of times. I quite like that. Um, what was the other one? I always remember. Oh, never mind. But yeah, those those classic Disney tapes and Freaky Friday was always one. Oh, The Incredible Journey or something like that was always another one. And they were always the cheap rentals at the bottom. And that's probably when I last saw Freaky Friday with Jodie Foster. So fuck knows how old I was then. <laughs> oh, uh, no, I definitely should give it a go. I forgot. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. Oh, my yeah, number nine. Well, excuse me, uh, my number nine. It's another horror film, and it's the It Part One. It's the It remake. Uh, um, 2017. It is, yeah. Uh, yeah, that is my number six. Ah. Yeah, I. Re this is a very good version. Um, I would have put number two in at the same time, but I thought, no, I, you know, they're two standalone films, and I still think number one is my favourite of the two because um, I seem to have this fascination for starting move uh, for the first episode of a, like whether it's a two or, or a sequel or trilogy whatever of movies i always seem to like the first one the most the majority of the times like lord of the rings i think the fellowship of the ring is the best one i get very sucked into like the the build you know the what's it what's the word i'm looking for when they introduce everybody and get everybody sort of acquainted with the characters and i think they do it so yeah, well, well just in like it. the early sort of story building isn't it yeah and you know you get to know all about the you know who they are what they do and everything like that and i think they did it really well in it plus it's it's creepier than the second one because they go for a lot of the uh, more exaggerated monster effects in the second one which i understand what it is and like yeah, it and um, i know it I'd agree. I found it terrifying. Um, mm. Like it was dot straight away uh, with the scene with the um, like the the little boat and Georgie and the uh, mm. the him him being a <laughs> his arm bitten off. Um, yeah, I was like, wow, they they've done that to like a six year old about three minutes into the film. This is 
and then we've got another two hours of things like this. Mm. And and Pennywise in that was ever so creepy, like all sorts of things, like the bit with the um, with the the old fashioned um film spooling, and you see yeah. him, and then he oh yeah, they yeah, they work some editing. great moments. The editing in that is mm. insanely good, and um, I just I really didn't see that coming. Even though it's like right, there's all these kids who've already seen a load of horrible stuff. They're in a garage. It's dark, and it's like there's flashing lights. But it, it can't get any creepier than oh no it's it there it is there he is yeah I mean with with his uh, Bill Skarsgård's Pennywise is is fantastic and he does so many different voices like goes mm. high pitch and low pitch like there's times when he he sounds like Mickey Mouse and yet I'm still absolutely petrified of him yeah uh, no completely agree uh, I mean he's he's from um, quite a talented family of acting isn't he? his dad's is. Uh, Stellan Yeah, his brother's um what's his brother's name? Uh, um not Alex. Is it I think it might be Alex, is it? Is it Alex? Alexander, Alexander isn't it? Yeah, yeah, Alexander, yeah. Who I just watched recently in Infinity Pool. There's oh yeah. Film. Yeah, there's a film uh, that won't leave my memory for a long time. Yeah. But they they all seem to be really brave actors as well. They do things out of the norm, don't they? Not that not you're mainstream all the time. I mean, they're great in mainstream, but um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm a big fan. But I'm a huge fan of Tim Curry's Pennywise. I really am. I'm not such a fan of the actual TV program, but I am. Yeah. I like Bill uh, Tim Curry, um, but I think they're completely different as well, yeah. which is nice, yeah. isn't it? Um, it's sort of. I mean, this it this it's what's the director's name. It's um, is it Gary Fukuaga? I don't know if I'm saying that right. Who directed Mama? If you've seen that, that's yeah, cool. yeah. Um, and that came up, Mama came out about four years before it, so which I again I'd seen like the cinema, so I knew sort of what I was getting myself into, mm. um, but found it, yeah, like really, really dark, um, really good story. Mm. And I think, yeah, with, with a remake, there's quite a few. I mean, King Kong, like I said earlier is an example of where it's a remake worth making if the technology exists at the time of production that didn't exist in the original. You know, the 1937 King Kong was charming, but it was a puppet. Yeah. And then with this, you know, um, Tim Curry's acting is is fabulous, but it's all, you know, it's all on him. Mm. Um, whereas the effects of the this new version of it with Pennywise and the balloons and him is... is Mouth turning into having ten thousand teeth, like yeah, you know, couldn't do that. Um, and that drool that he has when he's dribbling as he talks, it's just yeah, not just gross. It's sinister as anything. Oh, there's, there's a scene with the all the blood, um, with uh, the oh, what, I forget what she's called. Brains all over the shop. Um, but there's a scene with uh, a bath and loads of blood that I think was the most blood used since the shining oh really yeah. uh, I'll, I'll, I'll fact i'll fact check that because it's just come back to me now i'm not even, i'm not even 100 sure if that's it chapter one or two but yeah there's some facts about blood that i'll clarify before the end of the pod i wouldn't it would not surprise me to be honest doug there's a lot of blood in there in there certain ways mind you there's a lot of films with gushing blood i was talked about evil dead 2 and that's always got the yeah a lot of blood in it, but yeah, I just it is a fantastic film. 
it's a fantastic story actually and they were brave even talking about the sequel to show certain elements which i won't go into much here i mean thank god they didn't really include the massive orgy scene that's in the book would have been very uncomfortable watching yeah i think they did write it though did like, they part of the screenplay yeah i'm, I'm fairly sure and, and they were like yeah no we can't um, we, we can't have this but i think they maybe not like maybe fully scripted it but they'd have written a treatment yeah as they were you know they were sticking to the book really well well they i mean they left in the brave bit at the beginning of the second one didn't they you know with the with the attack on the the couple at the beginning of the second movie they left that in which was brave i thought the second one was really good but i just wasn't as all the freaking out and the Mm. mentally adjusting to how messed up this new version of pennywise is i'd sort of like processed it by then Mm. But I mean, the second one has its moments, and I think the uh, the new older cast do really well. Yeah, yeah, they do. To be fair, because yeah. in the original, one of the, the young cast, I mean, one of the main younger characters of the Losers Club in Chapter One is played by Finn Wolfhard, who's straight out of um, Stranger Things. Yeah, perfect casting, isn't it? So really? yeah, there was not quite a decade, but you know, a good few years of like sort of eighties nostalgia. Mm. Uh, with that came with that um and some great you know young actors yeah uh, making making stranger things five finally got announced. i saw the poster yeah online oh, earlier thank oh, god man. but this should be the final one now i think yeah. should be well, but i was going to say with the original before. it tv series they had one of the the adults was straight out of the waltons okay yeah do you remember you heard of the waltons which was this, this sort of um I can't think what his name is now, but he was in the original movie as one of the adults, which threw me so much because he's come from this sort of sort of proper non-offensive TV show of the Waltons, which and was in that. It's not Seth Green, is it? No, it's in not in the remake, in the original. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, in, um, yeah. I'm, I'm looking at the original. Uh, Seth Green was um, Richie. Oh, was he? It, no, it's... Um, I can't think of his name now. Read a couple of them out and I'll get it then. Um, so you've got Tony Dakota, um, Richard Thomas, John Ritter. Richard Thomas. There we go, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, straight out of the Waltons. Through me. Every time sort of an evening scene, I kept expecting them to go, Good night, John boy. <laughs> Good night. Good night, Pennywise. Right, listen. Yeah. Um... Well, you, it, there's probably um, there's probably an outtake where he did just that. To be fair, yeah, you should hope so. <laughs> Please be true. Yeah. <laughs> right. What's your number eight then, Doug? My number eight is 1986. Uh, Baron of Blood, David Cronenberg's The Fly. Oh, that's my number three. Is it? We've just yeah. swapped there. I think. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh yeah, no, it my it was six, yeah. Uh, the fly. So this I used did um, a module on gothic. Uh, we'll call the modern gothic at uni, um, essentially gothic film, and we did a module on uh, well a section on body horror, and this was the only film that we watched. <laughs> As I remember, my lecture was like this: this is what we need to go. We need to look at the fly, and we looked at the nineteen fifty eight one a little bit. Yeah, I've seen that. Yeah. Uh, I mean, they, again, I, I think they could have done 
a fair bit of gore in the late fifties, but I mean the the eighty six the makeup in this mm. uh, is sensational. <laughs> it's and still holds up today, which I really yeah. like. It's a film that I I really like, but I'm not always going to be in a hurry uh, to rewatch it. Right. Like every year at Halloween, like there's films that I have to rewatch, uh, including Halloween and Rebecca uh, by Alfred Hitchcock or Hitchcock's version rather. Um, this the fly is not because I know I'm just gonna find it so gross and upsetting. Um, but that just says a lot about a film, you know, mm. how good it is, how um, it can get that emotional response. I mean, it is, um, you know, experiment gone wrong. It might, it might find it a little bit Frankenstein-y. Um, obviously, you got him, Jeff, and uh, Gina Davis. Yeah, they were a couple when they made this. Uh, oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Okay. I think um, they I was married. Say, Beauty, Beauty and the Beast, um, sort of thing going on. Yeah, and um, and it is, and like what well, we've got as far as number eight before throwing that word that you and Pav try and um, avoid uh, iconic, mm. but I mean, it, it certainly is. And I love. There's a really good Simpsons parody in one of the Treehouse of Horrors, um, where Bart and a fly get mixed up. That's and right. That's really clever as well because yeah. teleport to the toilet and it all goes from there. Um, but yeah, you've got this at three, so pretty high. Mm, yeah, it's a it's a high film for me. For one, it, it's, it hasn't dated to me at all, really. Um, it's still quite shocking, especially for when it was made. It's grim. It's horrific. Yeah, it's full of heart. It's absolutely full of heart. You know, you can see the heartbreak in Gina Davis, which is absolutely fantastic of what's happening. Um, the end, obviously, when he's nearly completely transformed or has completely transformed, whichever way you look at it. The gruesome bits where he regurgitates on his leg at the end and everything like that. But you can still see the hurt. And, and you know, it's got what I call the American Wealth in London moment where the yeah. the the romantic or the, the side of it, they look at each other, don't they, and see each other. And then, it, yeah, it just... You're well enough. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. The films that make me cry, The Fly, no. <laughs> but it's also really funny. I mean, when you think about the cabinet scene, everybody talks about it's been done to death, but it is really funny, especially if you don't know what's coming. And he's slowly putting his body parts into that cabinet. And, you know, you see the collection of everything he's got from genitals and down. It's funny. Um, it's grim, I, like you say. Acting masterclass, because he, he's got to do so much in it. He's the mad scientist, mm. he's the romantic, and he's... I don't even want to say he's the monster, but I, he's, uh, he's 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 something. And um, I remember watching it, sort of hoping, you know, it gets to a certain stage where, um, like, you think, right, they they won't go any, they won't take this any further. He'll be stuck like this kind of man fly, um, and and that'll be that, and that's that's already upsetting enough. But like you say, it just keeps getting worse and worse. Yeah. Until there's so little left of him. Um, yeah, and it's grim. That I always remember the bit that always stands out, and I wince when I see it in that movie is the arm wrestling bit. Yeah, <laughs> they they do that so well, and it still makes me go literally go oof. Yeah, it makes you jump. Yeah, just yeah, there's there's, grim. there's a podcast. Have you have you done top ten moments that make you jump? Not yet, not yet. I've got I've got it on the list. Yeah. Um, there's other ones that people are listening to this and would like to edge towards most controversial movies you've ever seen. Yeah. Would okay. be a fun one because we could have a lot of delve into that and other things like yeah, that. I bet, so I bet, 
like we wouldn't necessarily have that many crossovers because there's so many out there. Mm. Absolutely. But talking to Cronenberg, Infinity Pool was his son. Brandon Cronenberg directed it. Okay. Yeah, so that'll yeah. tell you where you're leading to if you do watch it. Yeah. Yeah. It left me questioning a lot of things when you finish it, which is the purpose of it. Obviously, there's a lot of metaphors in there, and you can have those to yourself and work them all out. But he's also got the capability, like his dad, to leave you feeling very uncomfortable when the movie is finished, that you're still thinking about it. Yeah, like yeah. Son. Yeah, doing very well. Okay, yeah. Mia Goth is in it. Antiviral. Yeah. Processor is another yeah, one if you ever get to see. Well. Yeah, yeah, but Infinity Pool, yeah, I, I enjoyed that. I mean, we're talking about different films, but it is linked. But yeah. The Fly <laughs> as well, it's a remake that I think was made, the original was made not long after the book. It's it's not a novel, it's a short story. Right. Um, by George Langland. Um, in fact, yeah, published in 57. Oh, okay, and and then the the new version came out in fifty eight, and like I think we said at the top, the makeup magic wasn't quite. There. I know the only uh, bit that was, I think it was made sort of specifically to be a remake of the film. Right, the only well, thing I think was quite um good because the one bit I didn't like was when you saw the fly with the human head <laughs> in the original. Oh, yeah. Yeah, buzzing around. I'm glad they sort of moved away and not did that because I think that would have thrown everything away. Well, then, I, if anything, then The Simpsons probably brought that back. Yeah, they well, they did, did, yeah. Did it that way. Yeah. Just always a bit weird. It's a good bit of noise, though. Yeah, my own sound effect booth. Um, <clears throat> so, my number eight. It's a sci-fi movie. Um, it's been remade, as far as I know, at least three times. But it could have been more. It's Invasion of the Body Snatchers, but I'm going for the 1978 version. Again, with Jeff Goldblum. Uh -huh. Bit of a um, yeah, is in that. And Donald Sutherland. Um, I watched this probably too young, and it terrified me, because obviously they when they get infected, uh, these pods, if anybody's seen it, aliens land, there's pods, and they basically clone people, but they're aliens, and they're taking over the world. Um, and I always remember watching this, like I said, too young, and when they find somebody, he finds his own clone, they do this high-pitched scream. I don't know if you've ever seen a clip of this, and they just stand and point. It's actually terrifying. And it scared me so much as a kid. But the 1978 Philip Kaufman um, version, I would say takes precedent over all of them because he's made it so... It's it's, it's to do with the script, but also to do with the actors. you got got Donald Sutherland. They even bring back um, the man from the original movie. Um, I can't think of his name now. I should have researched that, but hey. Um I just think it's a wonderful, wonderful science fiction story that has deserved many remakes. Abel Ferreira did a remake just called Body Snatchers, I think it was called. It might have been Invasion. By Jack Finney. That's it. That's the Oh, sorry, I'm looking at the novel, not the... Oh, right. Oh, okay. Yeah, no, my bad. I thought it might be one of these, like we discussed earlier, where they've made a film almost immediately afterwards. Um, oh, no, yeah, not, no, 1956. Yeah. So it was quite quick. Uh, so was it, um, Kevin McCarthy? That's it. 
and he appears in the remake. And yeah. it's a great it's a great little cameo. Have you seen this one? No, I, I really need to. Um, yeah. I think I've seen a clip of it at uni when I was sort of studying, but I, I need to sit through it. And I'll, I'll definitely take your recommendation and go for this version. I really would, really would recommend this one because, like I say, the tension they build, the, the paranoia that they build in this movie is something to behold. It's what they did great in the 70s when you had all like, um, you know, the conversation and films like that where you're not actually seeing a lot of um, action, but everything that builds up to it just makes you have this peculiar feeling. And they do it so well in the Invasion, the 78 version. I would highly recommend it. You will not yeah, be disappointed. It. it doesn't look like it's been remade since. So do you think maybe that will be... Oh, they have, that, but it's called something. They haven't called it Invasion of the Body Snatchers. So if you look oh, okay. up Abel Ferreira, who did Driller Killer and Bad Lieutenant and all of those sort of movies, he did a version. Had that. Do you remember the actress Gabriel Anwar, sort of who went from UK Kids TV to Hollywood? Uh, I can't say. She was in like Scent of a Woman and things, and she broke Hollywood for a bit. But um, I can't remember if it's called Invasion. Yeah, whether it's IMDb, I can't. Um, or whether it's called maybe it's just called Invasion. Yeah. Oh no, it's called uh, Body Snatchers. Body Snatchers. Yeah, and they did another one somewhere called not with the same director, Invasion. That's not a bad version, although a bit condensed. They've only set it on like a military base rather than the whole. I mean, critics um, consensus across the internet would agree with you that this being the superior version. It is. I haven't seen a version that's matched it. And like I say, Philip Kaufman, who directed it, is a great director, often forgotten yeah. of his great movies. Um, I mean, if it's if it's 78, so we're going eight years before that version of The Fly, so a good, you know, very much body horror era. Mm, yeah, very much. Very much. I would highly recommend that one. Highly recommend that one. So, Doug, let's get your number seven. Okay, so um, staying... In the world of horror, uh, Bram Stoker's Dracula 1992, Francis Ford Coppola. Now, this didn't quite make my list, but I am with you on this. I think this is such a gothic. It's been in and out of my list. Um, I mean, there was more, it wasn't the only uh, Dracula story that crossed my mind. There's Christopher Lee's uh, as well. Mm. And also, just looking at, we talked about what makes a remake and you know, often it's just quite simply a retelling, going all the way back, um, you know, to the original text, to the novel. And Dracula, um, when I was sort of, I was sort of brought up with just the typical um, black cape. The Bram Stoker. Uh, uh, the um, the yeah. Bella Lugosi. Exactly, Bella Lugosi, mm. yeah. Um, even in things like Scooby-Doo, you know, just got that stereotypical Dracula. Then I, I think um, one of the earliest Scooby-Doo episodes, they've got one where they don't even call him that. And I wonder if that was just, yeah. uh, you know, maybe due to licensing, why they couldn't call him Dracula. But it it was just a vampire instead. Mm. But it was definitely what it was based on. Um, and yeah, he's a bit in the same way as sort of Frankenstein's monster, you know, is every single decade has been a version. Um, yeah, but we all think of Frankenstein like Boris Karloff's Frankenstein. Yeah. Same as, like you said, with Bella Lugosi. It is... yeah. I mean, I don't think... This version, Bram Stoker's, I think is a similar time um, to when Kenneth Branagh did 
a remake of a. Oh yeah, that was about in '94, wasn't it? Frankenstein, uh, Brown as Frankenstein. Yeah, you're right. Emotionally's. Uh, come on, uh, internet's let me down here. But yeah, going back to Bram Stoker. So this, um, it wasn't my first introduction to Gary Oldman. That would have been sort of serious black in Harry Potter or um, Jim Gordon and uh, Jim Gordon in uh, Batman Begins. Mm. Um, but could maybe be my favourite Gary Oldman role. Um, he's there's sort of reinvents the wheel for it a little bit, but there's things about Dracula that you definitely want to see. You know, he's very suave, but he's also very romantic. Um, you really do engage with the story of him losing his wife 400 years previously. And I really like this new look for him as well. <laughs> it's, it's like when I first saw it, I was like, this is bizarre, but actually it's, it's scary and charming at the same time. Mm. Um, and I think that makes that does sort of prove to be a good remake if it's something that you're familiar with, um, that'll sell it. But it can you know it needs to take you out your comfort zone a little yeah. bit. Yeah, um, and it looks beautiful. And the, and the, I mean the rest of the cast, um, in the same way uh, as we talked about Jack Black in King Kong earlier, Keanu Reeves. Uh, not really sure. <laughs> Just uh, the worst. I knew where there. the bastard sleeps. Uh, yeah, like I think yeah, interesting. Um, but I, I really, I mean, anything Anthony Hopkins is in, I feel like turns to gold. And um, Tom Waits, um, going up, my parents are huge Tom Waits fans, right? Seeing him, uh, just losing his marbles in that cell, uh, as well as, as um, Renfield, isn't it? Uh, Renfield, yeah, that's the one, yeah, yeah, uh, a really, really clever touch and really interesting that it was directed by Coppola, you know, a good 20 years after The Godfather as mm. well. Um, and I think prob- probably not that long after Apocalypse Now, I forget. 79 was Apocalypse Now. Actually, yes, it's fairly mm. while, while after that. Um, so yeah, I've got that in uh, number seven, not not too high, but it was. I think it was always going to be there. Yeah, so it's, it's, it is a visually stunning gothic movie, I agree with you, and beautifully shot and only Coppola could have done it and a couple of things I like is the fact they used real text from Bram Stoker's book where they did it in the diary form and stuff like that um, obviously it embellished the story and we went back in time at the beginning to see Vlad the Impaler or whatever but yeah I think it's sumptuous to look at don't think it's very scary but I just you're not watching it for the scares you're watching it for the beauty and for like you said Gary Oldman's performance just genius that man's it's such an acting icon i think um as well it's it's as much as we have talked at the top of this section about how you've got your typical dracula dracula haven't you with the black mm. hair um i think his also holds up as a really iconic take obviously it's quite unique it's sort of standalone yeah of dracula but i think again i'm gonna bring them up because it's in Seems to be all I know about when they parodied um, Dracula in The Simpsons Treehouse of Horror, when Mr. Burns is a vampire. I think they were definitely looking at that again, where they made his hair. Mm. No, I'm uh, pretty sure it was uh, the same one. It's pretty. Yeah. It's obvious. It, it is, isn't it? Be, yeah. You know, it's that's that's Mr. Burns. Uh, they again, they never quite say it. They just say vampire, which adds another layer to the comedy. Mm. Um, but yeah, it's Burns as Gary Oldman's Dracula, not Burns as the um, 
you know, the 30s. The, yeah, the uh, Universal Monsters Dracula, as they would call it, it, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Perfectly put. Yeah. <laughs> right, my number seven. Now, I don't know whether this is classed as a horror film. I more class it as a thriller, but it's Cape Fear with Robert De Niro in 1991. Um, I'm a fan of the original. I think this has, it's a mix of, I think this one has some better moments and some not, and likewise with the 1960s one. Yeah. Um, De Niro is this movie um, Nick yeah. Nolte actually when he was very good Juliette Lewis is one of the standouts in that it was, I think it was one of her first movie roles apart from like the um, um, Lampoon's Vacations that she did Vacation whichever one it was um, it was quite up there with one of her first movies or a breakthrough movie now I don't think this version of this movie would get made now no, no. I genuinely don't because no, of some no. of the subject matter. I mean, you think yeah. about when he breaks into the school and the way he seduces what is a 14-year-old girl. You aren't going to see that anymore. No. Um, so. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but the sense yeah. of dread that this held, you know, I mean, even I mean, we talk about the Simpsons lampoons, the cinema scene. Smoking the cigar yeah. and laughing. We see that. The yeah. you know, the whole sideshow bob bit. Wearing the, the flowery shirt and um That's right. <laughs> and I think actually uh Joaquin Phoenix is um Joker. Um I'm pretty sure I read that he took some inspiration as well. Yeah. From, yeah, I could uh, imagine from De Niro in that. And uh I mean it's I don't know if you call it peak De Niro because his career spans so many years, but it's not long after Goodfellas. Where he's played a very calm and sophisticated gangster, yeah. sophisticated as a gangster. Uh, <laughs> he probably looks sophisticated because he's next to Joe Pesci. Whereas in this, he just there's there's not a single frame where he doesn't look, you know, deranged and um and those tattoos all over him, those homemade tattoos. And I mean, the guy had worked out something chronic. Buff De Niro, he's yeah. really muscly in that movie when you watch it. And then, but yeah, I'd like to. Would you class that as a horror or a thriller? I'd, I'd say thriller. I think. Yeah, me too. But uh, some people class it as a horror movie. I mean, as an easy moments rather than scary, isn't it? Um, I guess. No, I, I don't see it as a horror. Um, it depends. It depends. I guess if you're seeing him almost as like a monster. Um, maybe. I mean, it's just a, it's yeah. a story of revenge, it's just, that's, that's isn't it? That's really interesting that people do. I've I've never put it in there. A, a thriller, like definitely. I mean, when I used to work in a big video not, not, chain, not yeah, go on. I was going to say, sorry, Doug. When I worked in a big video chain, um, they used to come pre-stickered on the boxes of whether it's horror action, and obviously you had to put it where it was, and that always had horror on. Always. I think if it was on Netflix. It'd come under horror. I mean, Netflix. Oh yeah. Some very very strange algorithms, you know, like mm. Saving Private Ryan because you watched Alan Partridge. Yeah. <laughs> maybe, maybe not yeah. quite that weird. You know? yeah. um, it depends what people are looking for uh, in horror. I tend to just associate my horror with um, something very dark and slashery, like mm. episode class Alien as horror. Um, right, but Aliens but, not. But I'd also class Alien as a thriller. I think like yeah. that that crosses over for me. The um, the big classic one is Jaws, like Doug. Yeah, of course. A lot of people don't see that. I classify that as a horror. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. 
but a lot of people don't. But yes, um, it's interesting to find out people's opinions on that. Right. Crossover. Do you know what I'm going to do? Uh, I'm going to go on IMDb. And see what they... Yeah, that'd be interesting yeah. to see what they say it is. Um, but it's a, it's a great movie. It's Scorsese right. again, isn't it? Okay, so. I'll tell you what. It's, um, it says thriller. But what kind of thriller? Horrific. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd back you. Yeah. Psychological thriller. Right, okay. Yeah, I can understand that. Yeah, that that's a great. Bob has spoken, um, but I'm still not. I'm still not sure. I'll think think more about that. Yeah, I need to, I need to get on Reddit. Um, but yeah, but it's Martin Scorsese, and we forget that he directed that one as well, didn't he? So, yeah, Scorsese. It's he's done a couple of remakes in his well, time, hasn't you he? Know, I um, I studied course um, studied Scorsese at college, and it re- this really didn't come up, even though it's you know so wonderful, but. It, I was drawing a comparison between Goodfellas and Wolf of Wall Street, so it didn't really need to come up. But he, no, um, but it's also, I mean, it's got typical Scorsese sort of camera and workings, but it's also not your typical Scorsese film, is it? Uh, Let's be honest. I was going to say the things that came up were like Taxi Driver, um, The Departed, Mean Streets, Raging Bull. Mm. Um, God, what, what a CV. Yeah, he really uh, has. I'm, I'm top ten Scorsese yet. As we're recording this, we we have have we done the top ten score? We've done so many. We could well have done it. It rings a bell. It very much does. But um, the Killers of the Flower Moon is coming to Apple TV on the as we're recording this yeah. next week. Seen it? No, not yet. No, it's fantastic. Yeah, yeah. Don't be put off by the fact that it takes about two days to watch. Um, no, is it? It's three, three and a half hours, I think. Yeah, yeah, uh, but it's one of his films that um, do- it doesn't didn't feel like three and a half hours to me. Yeah, I'm excited yeah. to see it. You see, I'm one of the people that like the Irishman. Yeah, so I really I, do. You know that. what? I liked it when I finally got around to it, but it took a world pandemic and national lockdown for me to find <laughs> it. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I mean, I, I do have that problem. Like, if I'm in a cinema, um, you know, I can just sit there and not be distracted. Whereas watching stuff at home, um, I. F- I can find it really hard when it's that long. And I saw a thing that I thought was really clever on Twitter where you split the Irishman up into like a four-part miniseries. Yeah. Like press pause at this point and go back to it. So I did that. And then funnily enough, I was able to watch it in one go because it was like, felt like I was binging something. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, I get that. Yeah. But a great, great filmmaker and long may he continue. Absolutely. So number six, Dougie, was it for you? Yeah. Uh, number six for me is Little Shop of Horrors, the musical version. Um, I One of my favourite musicals. Anybody knows I'm a fan of musicals, although still to my day, this day, I haven't watched Hamilton or seen Hamilton yet. Me. And people really chastise me for this. Yes. Another, uh, another 1986. It is. And what a cast in this one. Rick Moranis. Steve Martin, Jim Belushi, Marion Margulies. Yeah. <laughs> and the music in it is fantastic. The sets are fantastic. The fun is so much fun. Um if if you haven't seen it and you enjoy a musical, watch it because you'll be smitten. Frank Oz directed it. Okay, wow. Yeah, it's I did not know Frank Oz uh, had director credits. Oh yes, yeah. 
he's that, um makes quite a lot of sense um, yeah there's if you look him up he's done quite a few the indian in the cupboard i think he directed and stuff like that he's done a few frank oz quite big films i think he directed um dirty rotten scoundrels to be honest I'll have, to, I'll have to get his IMDb up. Yeah, yeah, have a look. To me, just either a Muppet or Yoda, and that's probably not fair because <laughs> both of those things are, you know, quintessential and fantastic. Um, what? Oh, God, he's done all sorts, hasn't he? Let's get, get him up. But, um, so this is a remake of something that... What, was it, is the original it was a Roger one? Corman movie. Jack Nicholson was in it, a very young Jack Nicholson. It oh, wasn't a musical, it was just a story. And then later on down the line, somebody made it into a musical and they yeah. finally filmed it. It's one of these productions okay. that seem to be very popular with amateur dramatics. <laughs> that's that's interesting because one thing I considered, I don't think it was quite good enough to hit my top ten anyway, but there was a remake of Matilda, uh, but remade as the musical version. That's right. But based on the stage Film. production. Mm. which I saw years ago. Um, I think it was literally about 10 years ago at the theatre. And I can't actually remember any of the songs from that. So I don't know if they're the new ones or if, if these are originals or, or what. But I thought, is it a remake when it's gone that way around? Yeah. Um, to film, to theatre, and then theatre on screen. I, was like, I wasn't sure if it qualified. So I just decided, actually, I'm not going to stress. I'm just going to decide it's not good enough to be in my top 10. <laughs> <laughs> Because that that's happening as well. You've seen they're remaking Mean Girls. Yeah, it's a musical. And that's going to have Tina Fey in it as well. She wrote it. You're joking. Again, the same as the original, yeah. It's her stage show as she a movie. Wrote, she wrote the music? I'm not sure she wrote the songs, but she wrote no, but the... Like, yeah, she did the stage the, the, script as well. Yeah. What a woman. So, yeah, it's basically what I believe, a complete remake of the movie, but the musical yeah. that you would have seen, it's not come to this country, but in Broadway. It's that version. I mean, I'll watch it. Is it... it and do you know what? The, I mean, the original's uh, 20 years old this year. Yeah. Um, so I think maybe on October 3rd at my pub, I'll do a Mean Girls pub quiz because it's October 3rd. Yeah. <laughs> it couldn't be happy today. And everyone has to wear pink. Absolutely. But yeah, so back to Little Shop of Horrors. If you like a musical, you like a catchy song, and I mean a catchy song. If you love um, cameos, Bill Murray cameos in it with Steve Martin. And um, John Candy. Is in yeah, there. he pops up. Like I say, Jim Belushi is in there. John Candy's the radio DJ. Yeah, there's a lot of them pop up and it's well worth it. It sort of really flew under the radar when it came out. It really did. I don't even remember it coming to my local cinema back then because I'm sure I would have watched it back in 86. Yeah, I mean, this this one as well, it just, it's got seven different genres, according to IMDb. So it's got dark comedy, it's got pop musical, rock musical, mm-hmm. comedy, horror, um, and actually then just, just musical and romance. So it's, it's the package, isn't it? It really is, and it's 90 minutes of pure fun. When movies were ninety minutes long, you know that was the aspiration to make a movie ninety minutes, not four hours ninety or whatever it is now. So so far from tonight's podcast, I've got four films that I need um, to watch uh, that I'm keen to watch quite soon, and it'd probably be quicker to watch all four of these than to rewatch King Kong. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. 
Catch the award-winning movie Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. So. Yeah. <laughs> right, we're at number four. understood and accepted. <laughs> we're at number five. We're going to take a little break. And this is usually the pop quiz hot shot, as they would say. Um, so what I'm going to do is ask you, uh, I've got some questions. See how many you can get out of 10, um, Doug. I'll give you two actors and you have to tell me the film that either of those starred in of the remake, if that makes oh, sense. Nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. So, question one, we'll go with this. Ricky Lake in 1988 uh-huh. and Nikki Blonsky in 2007. Oh, um, pass. Mm-hmm. Airspray. Oh, bollocks. Okay. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Is there not, yeah, they're not going to be it. really well, I've, deep? I've seen, I've, I've seen the remake. It's uh, John Travolta, isn't it? That's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah that, I'd, I'd have got, I'd have got it with. Uh, that would have probably been too easy. Then. Yeah, <laughs> they were the two main characters anyway. Ricky Lake and Nikki Blonsky, the two young girls from each yeah. one. Obviously, the Ricky Lake version wasn't the musical; it was just the John Waters mm. version. Right, number two, Dudley Moore in nineteen sixty-seven, and oh. Brenda Fraser at two thousand. The Mummy. No, unfortunately. Oh. Good guess, but it's bedazzled. Oh, shit. Okay, yeah. Is the mum- yeah. Mum- To be honest, The Mummies, I think it's a little bit later. Yeah, or, yeah. Oh, no, actually, no, it's, it's a year earlier. Oh, right. 2001 uh, was 1999, Brendan Fraser. Um, but also, Dudley, I didn't, I don't know any Dudley Moore being in The Mummies. So. <laughs> <laughs> you could have, could have played one of the little blokes running around in the back. Yeah. Right, number three, you might get this one. Jerry Lewis in nineteen sixty-three and Eddie Murphy in nineteen ninety-six. Um Eddie Murphy ninety-six. Yeah. Uh, I'm sure you've seen this version. I'm sure yeah. you would have. It's quite funny actually. It's a lot of uh, I'll give you a hint, see if you can get it. It's a lot of Eddie Murphy playing different roles. I know he's done that a lot, but in this one, he played a lot of roles. 
Um, a lot of roles. Yeah, there's a lot of roles in this one. Um, uh, Nutty Professor. Yes. Because well I was going to say Big Mama's House. But that was Martin Lawrence. Um, oh, right. Well, there's that. Yeah. <laughs> Eddie Murphy. We were, we were um, oh, um, Nor not Norbert. Um, um, Is it Norbert? There's one where it's Norbit. There's that one, and he did. That was oh god, yeah. Oh, uh, what's the one with the animals? Doctor Doolittle. Doctor Do, yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, I also thought Daddy Daycare, but I was sure that was Naughty's. Yeah, I've only, uh, yeah, I've not, I've only ever seen Daddy Daycare on the TV in the shop that I was managing at the time. Uh, right, you should get this one. Number four, Fay Ray, nineteen thirty-three. Naomi Watts, two thousand and five. King Kong. Yes. Uh, number five, oh, you should get this one as well. Anthony Perkins in 1960 and Vince Vaughn in 1998. Psycho. Exactly. Um, right, let's get the next one. Number six, Arnold Schwarzenegger in 1990, Colin Farrell in 2012. Oh, God. Um, Colin, no, I, I no, no, Total Recall. Oh bollocks! Which Colin Farrell? Never, never, never saw the Colin Farrell version. Don't bother, don't bother yeah. watching it. It just waste your time. I sucked it up for all of us. It was just awful. Number seven, Michael Caine in nineteen seventy one, and Sylvester Stallone in two thousand. Really hoping you were going to say Mark Wahlberg in 2006. Ah, uh, you were thinking of that Italian job. Thinking of the Italian job, yeah. Mm. Um, not a remake that's on my list. No, not it shouldn't be on anybody's <laughs> list. Nor should this movie, to be fair, because I believe in this country it came straight to VHS. Just oh, right. maybe DVD as out as well at that time. Um, I'll pass. I'm afraid. Get Carter. Oh. Yeah, no. Have you ever seen how bad the Stallone version is? No, I think I pretty much forgot that it existed. Yeah. Uh, but then Michael Caine, 70s, I just think Italian job. Oh, right, yeah. Mind you, that would have been 60s, though, wouldn't it? Oh, Italian is it? Yeah, yeah. But I do love Michael Caine's Get Carter. Absolutely. That's a dark movie. Uh, number eight, David Niven, 1967, and Daniel Craig in 2006. Casino Royale. Yes. Oh, we've spoken about this one. Number nine, Robert Mitchum in 1962 and Robert De Niro in 1991. Cape Fear. Yeah. And so this no one is... if we've literally talked about it five minutes ago. I know, yeah. Nail those. You might not... This one may be tricky. But number ten, last question. Humphrey Bogart, 1954. Harrison Ford, 1995. Oh, bloody hell, I do know this. Um, I mean, probably I probably don't. Um, you might do. So, give me the years again. Humphrey Bogart was 1954, and Harrison Ford was 1995. <laughs> the female in the Harrison Ford one was Julia Ormond. Beautiful Julia Ormond. Harrison Ford, 95. Yeah. 
comedy. A comedy? Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah, just tell me. Sabrina. Oh, Christ, okay. Humphrey yeah. Bogart was that. He played the Harrison Ford role in the original. So you got one, two, three, four, five... Five out of five. Five out of ten. So 50%. I'll take that. That's all right. That's all uh, right, indeed. Managed managed to get more wrong on the outside, getting um, Eddie Murphy and Martin Lawrence mixed up in big money. <laughs> no, you can I'm be forgiven. getting the wrong decade for Italian job. I'm, I'm going to give myself five out of 12. Um, <laughs> never mind. You're, you're all right, Doug. That's all right. That would have been all right. Be fine. Right, Doug, you're number five. You know, the thing is, because I've, I've been a quiz master for like six, pushing seven years, there's a reason I'm a quiz master, not a quiz doer. <laughs> I, I like having the answers right in front of me and puzzling everybody else, clearly. I like a good quiz. I really do. I, I would say that I watch a, a few TV quizzes, but they tend to bore me. But I do love a good pub quiz. There's not enough of them around where I live. Come down here and do some, Doug. Oh, I'd love to, yeah. I'd... Yeah. The invites are there. <laughs> yeah. Right. What's your number five then, mate? My number five, uh, it is Pinocchio, but the Guillermo del Toro version. Do you know, uh, I still haven't watched this. Oh, it's it's superb. Um, I mean, I, I've got it, um, and I've got written next to it the year of Pinocchio remake, because Disney Plus did one, or did Disney released one on Disney Plus the same year. And they are so incredibly different. It's it's sort of like Netflix versus Disney Plus, and then mm. one one went down amazingly with critics, and one absolutely bombed. Uh, I'm sure you could guess which is which. Um, so that yeah, I mean this this version is beautiful. It's very political. Um, he's gone big on um on Mussolini. Um, Isn't the whole movie stop motion? Though? It's stop motion. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I should have said that at the, at the top. Yeah, it's stop motion, and um. I think there's even a thing, a feature on Netflix where you can watch, um, like the the making it. Right. The attention to detail is amazing. It's absolutely beautiful looking. Um, real. It's like the story, you know. Um, but with a bit of a twist that you know he's changed enough of the plot, um, to make it, um, work differently, work on its own. Uh, there's, I don't know which bit it was. You'd you'd be able to find it fairly easily. There was a whole section of plot and um around a character that they actually did a lot of the animation for, and then he sort of turned around and said, "No, I don't like this. Make make them do that. I'm not. I'm, I don't want to spoil it, mm. but make them do that or change this." And uh, I think the animators, a lot of them, must have been like, "Oh, for fuck's sake!" But there we go. His um, you know, he's known a bit of an auteur, uh, Del Toro. Everything that he makes, you know, Shape of Water, Pan's Labyrinth, he's. They're, you always feel like the films that he makes, they're his babies. You know, he pours absolutely everything into mm. them. Um, and yeah, this is just what, a beautiful... What year movie. was it, this one? Uh, 2022, it's uh, like a it's Netflix not, uh, original. Yeah, that's right. Uh, I'm fairly certain it You know, it won all the awards for animated film. I think some were even saying it should be you know, up for best film, you know, just because it's animated. Mm. Shouldn't stop that. Um, it's got... Um, pretty, uh, really good cast. The one that jumps to mind for me is David Bradley as uh, Geppetto. Right. There's some other pretty big names in it. Um, you'll you'll laugh, you'll cry, and uh, yeah, it's it's just gorgeous. It's a bit of a musical as well. Um, 
yeah, recommend it. Yeah, Absolutely. I'll definitely put it on there. Well, it's, it's just interesting that at the same time, in this, well, not the same time, the same year, Disney bought out a remake uh, just based on their 1940s version with all like CGI. Mm, Tom Hanks, Hanks isn't it? And Jim Robert Hanks, Zemeckis. And it's just lazy, really. You know, we all know how much money Disney have got and um just feels very lazy. It doesn't really merit a remake at all. Um Joseph Gordon Levitt's Jiminy Cricket's not too bad, but um Ewan McGregor's in the Del Toro version's a lot better. Right. And then, and then there's the coachman, who I think actually if looking back to animated Disney films, the coachman's one of the most underrated, terrifying villains that are yeah. really freaks me out. And um I thought, wow, I wonder what they'll do with the live action version. And they got Luke Evans in, you know, four or five years after being gassed on in the Beauty and the Beast remake. And it just literally looked like Luke Evans went on the piss after being in Beauty and the Beast, dressed as Gaston, and then turned up to filming um, this this thing of Pinocchio, just just looking like absolute crap. And um, you you barely see him in it. Um, he's he's hot. He's hardly used at all. It's right. it's weird. Um, yeah, I couldn't stand that, but I'm really glad the Del Toro version came out the same year. Do you know, to be honest with you, Doug, I'd actually forgotten about it, which is sacrilege in itself, but I had. I'd just forgotten, truly. I will watch that. I must watch that. It's, uh, yeah, it it really is uh, an experience. I think it it would have done really well in the cinema, but Mm. it's just just the way the industry is. Sometimes these things come straight out to Netflix. Um, I mean, Disney have done that a lot. They, They remade Lady and the Tramp straight on to... The streaming service and uh, and this Peter Pan they remade that I managed about twenty minutes of and then sucked off with Jude Is that Law. the Neverland or whatever it's called? It's called Peter Pan and Wendy. That's right. And uh, yeah. Jude Law plays Captain Hook and may- maybe it's fine, but um, yeah, yeah, I'm not sure. There, there was one remake that didn't make my list. Uh, it's the Peter Pan film where Jason Isaacs plays both. The oh yeah, that, that's probably my number eleven. That's a great adaptation. Well, like, that is. It's good when you know a different studio and a totally different director take on something like that. But there's all too many of these Disney remakes that are just carbon copies mm. and boring. Yeah, they genuinely are. I don't think I've liked any of the remakes. The Aladdin is true. That Aladdin remake is truly awful. Lion King is awful. Yeah, well, when you were uh, when you mentioned the Lion King being the highest grossing, that I think I think that's why I groaned. Mm, it's just yeah, you never thought Beyonce could ruin a song, but she did. Um, right, my number five, True Lies in 1994. It's based on off a French film, which I can't remember what it was. Remade. This was a project, a pet project between Cameron and Schwarzenegger to just do some bits um it's a great great action movie this is the movie to me that changed action movies should i say with the way they filmed it you know especially james changed james bond christ i can't even say it now um yeah i I really like this movie it's to me it's one of cameron's best movies it's up there where was um where was bond around the time this would have been released was it it would have pierce brosnan where yeah, because his Golden Eye was about ninety two, was it or ninety? Very nineties, yeah, yeah, ninety four. Around then, yeah, yeah, good show. Mm. Wow, 
how young does Schwarzenegger look there as well? I know. No, I know it was well, it'd be thirty years old this year. Wow. Wow. It only seems it oh, still sorry. looks really good. Obviously they used a lot of practical effects. Jamie Lee Curtis, hot as always, but really funny. Some really funny moments in this film. Schwarzenegger's perfect for him. He didn't need to really act again, but his charisma comes through. And I'm going to recommend everybody. My, I, I'm a fan of Schwarzenegger. He's a movie star. I would never call him an actor. He's a movie star. But I watched that Netflix series that he did. Have you seen this? What was all about his life? Uh, no, no. I highly I recommend you watch it. He deals yeah. with everything from his life. So all the controversies, everything he will talk about and show you. And it completely changed my opinion of um, Schwarzenegger. So I'd highly recommend that. But I'd also highly recommend if you've not seen True Lies, Jesus, you're missing one of the best action films. It's a great action movie. I, um, yeah, I'll put that. Where's my list? Yeah, very funny, very good, um, and like I say, some I'm, great no, set pieces. I'm sure, I'm sure I have. I think I just watched it like years and years ago with my parents, but this is all ringing a bell. Um, you probably have seen it. it, it I mean, it's not a spoiler. I won't say too much. Like, what is? It? Is it like a? PG or a 12? Uh, would have been a 12, but back then, obviously, a 12. Was it a 12 back then? I think it made 15 because of the violence. There's quite a lot of gun yeah. play and stuff like that. But there's nothing really shocking. It's something I would have shown my kids, even though it's a 15. It might have bad language. I can't seem to remember, but it's nothing that you don't hear. In day-to-day, yeah. Yeah, day-to-day, no. What, what, I mean, what's Die, Die Hard must be a 15, right, is it? That was an 18 when that came out. Is it? I don't yeah, know whether yeah, it's been reclassified. Way before I was 18, because it was a well, quintessential Christmas film. Yeah. Quintessential Christmas film. Yeah, there you go. There's a tongue yeah, twister for you. <laughs> yeah, no, I think I think I've seen it a long, long time ago because this is all coming back to me. But yeah, I yeah. I was going to say, just um, you you may remember the aircraft at the end and the big building. No, maybe not. Yeah, maybe. If I if I, I'm I'm going to let it be a sort of surprise. Yeah, it's a great movie. Great movie. Uh, right, Doug, your number four, please. Um, number four. So this has been remade three or four times, um, like a couple of yours that you mentioned. Um, this is A Star Is Born. Okay. Um, I've gone with the uh, Bradley Cooper directing and Bradley Cooper starring alongside Lady Gaga, um, which is 2000 and... Give me a moment. Um, Would it be 18? 18, yeah. Mm. Yeah, 2018. So this one, uh, the story... Uh, First, it was done in 1937, uh, and then again in the 50s. Um, with these remakes, they've actually the the plot they stick to uh, fairly well. The uh, general consensus is the same. Um, sort of, I've made a note there because I'm getting getting everything modelled up. <laughs> Got these giant post-it notes. Um, here we go. All right. So yeah, uh, it's a story that they've done before, where um, an already successful musician meets a uh, male musician meets a female musician whose career 
is about to start. Uh, little do they know it. Um, the male musician battles with alcohol problems, and ult ultimately that's um, becomes their demise. And uh, really amazing that Bradley Cooper directed and starred in this because he had a history of alcoholism problems of his own. Um, right. I think by the time he um, acted and directed this, uh, I think he was like 15 years sober because um, he did have quite a dark past. But he did an interview where he talked about actually it really helped him. Mm. Uh, he's not the first actor. Sorry, not the first. He's not the only actor that I can think of that has done this. Um, Colin Farrell in Saving Mr. Banks uh, plays a character battling with alcoholism. Mm. And again, and, and Colin Farrell um, had alcohol issues of his own. Uh, I just think that must be so brave um, to do, you know. Uh, but with the film itself, uh, I remember there's an old quote by Walt Disney where he said his, he wanted his films to be remade as the years go on uh, for different generations. And I think this one, it's, I've not, properly seen the other two um you know from the 30s and the 70s but this one it comments on what stardom is like at the time it's made so it's kind of a story worth retelling mm. a film worth remaking but in the context um and that's not just for star is born you know you could say that about heaps of films that get remade um and uh lady gaga's amazing in it as well she She's she's got a really good acting side. I'm really excited to see her in the Joker sequel. Oh yes, play Harley Quinn, and that's a musical. Because we already knew she could uh, she could sing. Um, of course, she's Lady Gaga. Really hope she gets to Glastonbury this year because I finally got a ticket. Oh, have you? Uh, yeah, yeah. It's only taken me eleven years of trying. But Do you know who's a rumor to be? There's two rumors that keep surfacing all the time. You've got uh, the Spice Girls. Oh really? All five of them, yeah. Okay. And Madonna, okay, obviously, yeah. 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 Uh, Mel B confirmed something that the five of them have all been together or something yeah. recently. She just said it on like that. One of these things they're doing a tour and their calendar's got a gap in it, maybe. No, no tour announced or anything, but only by what Mel B has sort of hinted at. But it was also reported by one of these obnoxious re entertainment <laughs> reporters and said uh, that, he, that he believed that was happening and it's looking more and more likely. But we should get some announcements soon. But Madonna's the other big one, isn't she? But apparently, according to the online entertainment, is it EW or whatever it is, said that she was demanding too much money. Yeah, I mean, the there was a lot of people saying that last year it was a pretty all-male Mm. Uh, headline, you know, what was it? It was like Arctic Monkeys, Guns N' Roses, and Elton John. Yeah, that's right. So they they're saying they want to fix that, but she may may well be asking for a lot. I mean, she she should ask for a lot. I don't know um, how much that is in the context of Glastonbury headline. Yeah. <laughs> um. Well, recently, yeah. did you see the pictures of Madonna recently, where they're asking yeah. whether she wears a diaper now from her tour? Yeah, <laughs> yeah well, quite... I will do. Yeah, quite genuinely. Like These pictures have surfaced of her singing <laughs> on on the stage and with this weird sort of onesie outfit on, but around oh, her middle. So it's meant to be fashionable. Yeah, like one of oh, the, right. yeah. I thought you were saying someone had like taken No, a... no, no. They oh, think I mean, she literally is wearing it. No, she's literally wearing a diaper, they think. Uh, okay, okay. <laughs> I don't know whether I that's sleep true. Well <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, 
So how do we get how do we get to Madonna pooing herself? Okay, yeah. Um, oh, Glastonbury, but we're back. Lady uh, Gaga. Yeah, um, with A Star Is Born as well. There's a scene, um, pro- probably one of, well, there's some very tough scenes to watch in it, but one um, that is consistent, as I understand it, across the, the different versions of the film is where the male, in this case, Cooper, he um, basically ruins um, the evening with by doing a speech where he's got far too pissed before. Mm. Um, that's like a sort of set piece, if you like, um, of the story of A Star Is Born. Yeah. Um, and it also it has this you know, idea about a male helping a female, um, you know, launch a career. It reminded me a little bit of um, Singing in the Rain, whole storyline with um, Don Lockwood and Kathy Seldon. Mm. Uh, and I mean, that was 50s, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of that. I'm reading a book at the moment called Women versus Hollywood by Helen O'Hara. I believe you've. Oh, yes. Uh, a guest on this very show. Yeah. Yeah. It was a great episode. Um, and for the, yeah, the, there's a, I'm only in the early stages, but it, it already says so much. Uh, about how tough it has been for women in that industry in Hollywood. She, you know, it's across the film industry. I'm sure it has, but she focuses on Hollywood. And um, the version of this film that was done in '54 uh, was a musical as well. Um, so it must have only been a year or two before or after Singing in the Rain. So maybe, there's probably almost a parallel there. Mm. Um, but yeah, I think Star is Born. It's uh, other than maybe, and uh, have you seen this? I've seen this. Yeah, I've seen the seventy-seven yeah, yeah. one as well. Uh, yeah, I, I, I like the movie. I like the, the movie a lot. That I've seen. I, I don't know. It might, that might be the best recent one. It might be Pinocchio. I'm not sure. Yeah, I do like this movie. I really do. I I think it's fascinating, and the way they recorded the live scenes, I think it's just phenomenal. Because oh, oh, they, yeah, the stadium. Yeah, yeah just so well and it was so loud seeing it at the cinema you you felt like you were there and i think bradley cooper is going to be a force to be reckoned with if he's allowed to direct enough movies yeah i mean he's he's got more um has he done more he's got more lined up i'm sure he's done did he direct maestro that's just hit netflix as well didn't he yeah and that's supposed to be fantastic he there's a lot of people saying he was unlucky to miss out on a director and uh, and best film, uh, both of which went to Oppenheimer. Mm. I think uh, uh, not. Uh, not the the Oscars hasn't happened yet, but the Globes. The were Golden the Globes, Globes, yeah. Where that poor things um, did well. It looks fantastic, but I think a lot of people are going to be shocked if they go and watch this movie. Which did you watch poor, poor Things with Emma Stone and everything? Oh, is that uh, okay? Yeah. Yeah, know. it's been sl- it's all it's it's the first film that's been put to the BBFC classification, and they've made them take a cut out in a long time. Okay. Yeah, oh, I th- is that one of these? Was it in the cinema? Or is it just? On it's. The- I think it's out Friday, but selected cinemas. I don't think it's. It might go mainstream because the favourite went mainstream. But if you oh, ever no, seen those other films, possible, the other films of this guy, like Dogtooth, you'll know what you're going to expect. Oh, this, um, yeah, no, I have to watch that. Yeah, so am I. I really want to watch it, but then I enjoy that sort of cinema. It's very European, very gaudy, but um, 
For anybody listening, apparently you see a very lot of Emma Stone. If you're a fan of Emma Stone, this may be the film for you. It is indeed. Yeah, I know it's out at the uh, it's out at Cineworld. Uh, well, out at all cinemas, I should say. I'm a Cineworld member. <laughs> Just looking at the app. Yeah. Yeah, it comes out this Friday. Rave reviews. Yeah. I'll yeah, I've got a friend who's seen it, who works in the industry, and he said he can imagine a lot of people going to see this because of how much they're advertising it and walking out disgusted or hating it, but... I can't wait. I mean, I how many it... how many parents took their daughters to uh, well and indeed how many parents took their children to see Barbie? Oh yeah. It's gonna be yeah, a kids' film. <laughs> they were warned. Yeah, they were. They certainly were. Right. So my number four, we'll jump to that, is Scarface, Al Pacino, 1983. Um, I've never seen the original, basically, because I've oh, never good. had a chance to see it. The original, original whatever it was, 1930s or whatever movie. But this Brian De Palma version, written by Oliver Stone, I believe, if you look at it, it's got a lot of pedigree behind it. It's Pacino in full Pacino mode. It's a great story of rags to riches to decline of most gangster stories you see it. But it's, I'm going to use this thing, it's iconic. It really is iconic. Because this is a movie poster on bedroom walls galore type of movie and it still holds up really well I'm, and again I'm, I'm, I'm you, quote quotes that uh you know yeah, yeah you, know, you know exactly where i'm going yeah say hello to my little friend which is probably not the right thing to say to most people anymore everything everything else about scarface is fine but uh not that not that line yeah you can't use that over the internet in a chat room or something Hey, do you know what? Yeah, you're right. 1932, uh, the original. So yeah, it was definitely worthy. Yeah, doing, and obviously a lot more brutal. Is it peak Pacino? Yeah, yeah. If have you never seen Scarface? No, I'm asking you your opinion. Oh right. Oh, I yeah, thought for a minute you hadn't seen Scarface. No, no, no. <laughs> yeah, I think this is one of the. I mean, it's it's Pacino hamming it up. It really is. I don't think it's the best Pacino performance ever. You've got to go yeah, back to the seventh. No, sorry, that's what I was going for. Uh, right, yeah, it's not the right. best performance, but it's Pete yeah. Pacino. I mean, it's a great mine performance. Is, mine for him is is Godfather Part Two. That and um, Serpico and yeah, Dog Day okay, Afternoon, yeah. those sort of ones. Yeah. It's a bit more Pacino show. Yeah, it's more Pacino. Um, but yeah, it's fun and it's grim and it's violent. But like I said, it's got a lot of pedigree behind it. You know, like I say, with Oliver Stone to, uh, writing it, you've got did the screenplay, you've got um, Brian De Palma, who's an absolute gem of a director. Yeah, <clears throat> so huge fan of this one. Is Brian De Palma... He did the first Mission Impossible. There we go, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he's he's a great... He did Carrie, the original Carrie. Of course, there's been a remake the of that. So. That's um, it. Great director. Yeah. But yeah. yeah. You look at uh, his CV, and um, there's a lot a lot of things like you know, Snake Eyes, Ben Patel, Fury. Yeah. There's a lot of stuff that I didn't know uh, was him. Great movie with John Travolta called Blowout. Okay. What? Um, what? Which Travolta era is that? Oh, this is early Travolta. This is yeah. when Travolta was a proper actor and not a, yeah. a meme, as it were. Absolutely. 
Yeah. Right. Doug, your number three, please. Um, number three, uh, it's been mentioned once or twice, Casino Royale. Uh. Um, so Casino Royale, the f probably actually the first Bond film I think I saw in a cinema. Um, the you know the debut of Daniel Craig as James Bond. Um, the shuffling you can hear is me just getting my notes up. Um, so yeah, I remember when I saw it the first time round. Um. I was annoyed about 30 seconds in because it didn't do the traditional Bond opening no. with the, um, you know, the point of view of the shooter and the red going over the screen. And I, that really, uh, really upset me. Um, and I re really enjoyed it the first time, but it's one that I had to sort of grow up a bit and then go back and rewatch again. And yeah. um, It's now probably my favorite of the Craig. It's not, I think it's my favorite Bond overall, but um it's definitely my favourite, like, start to a reinvention of Bond. And I think it'll be a long, long time before it's worth trying to do anything like that. Mm. Um, I know you spoke to the guys on the Spy podcast. Yeah. You said they'd like to see, uh, like, an older version. It, or, or not not a 90-year-old Bond, rather a, a Bond film set, you know, maybe in the 60s or the 50s or even earlier. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, 100% behind that. Um, I think that's the next logical step because this you know it's set up the five films I, I don't really like Quantum of Solace um, and I thought Spectre was pretty weird but three of the five uh, Skyfall and, and the most recent one hold up really really well yeah um, like, I mean I, I, I grew up with the Pierce Brosnan ones but I was very easily converted and sold mm. on uh, Daniel Craig's they're all they're very dark films I've, I've ended up sort of speaking about them um, collectively rather than just Casino Royale um, sort of the accident but I'm uh, with you on that Doug I'd say Casino Royale is the best one out of the Craig also, ones it's another film that I saw for the sake of and I'm sure like you know millions of others I saw it for the sake of seeing it as the new James Bond film and not because mm. I was obsessed with the 1967 um, uh, did who played Bond? Help me out. David uh, Niven. David Niven. Yeah, there we yeah. go. Yeah, I wasn't uh, obsessed with that, thinking, oh, wow, they're remaking David Niven's Casino Royale. We better go and, uh, and see that. It was it was watching it, and then I realised, actually, yeah, it is a remake. Uh, yeah. and, and that's fine, you know, if, if that is the future of Bond, to go and, uh, you know, remake, um, you, you know, retell those stories. They're all based, well, majority of the best ones are based on... Um, Ian Fleming and um, do that, you know, it's where that is your source material. Yeah. Uh, no, it Max is. Nicholson as well. Have to shout out why everything he touches. Again, a bit like I said about Anthony Hopkins earlier. Um, in interesting. I've just realised they've both played Hannibal Lecter. <laughs> um, the two the two actors that I say touch things and they turn to gold. Anthony Hopkins, Mads Mikkelsen. Yeah, that's uh, true. Yeah, he's. Uh, is he my favorite? He might be my favorite Bond villain as well. Love Javier Bardem. Oh yeah, uh, but underused. Great, but underused. Yeah. yeah. Um, oh, what <laughs> do you mean? Like not that much screen time, or yeah, he yeah. was far too underused for what they premise he was. I mean, he was a vicious bastard. Yeah, I was hoping we'd see a lot more of him. But yeah, that's yeah. the only criticism of it. Mm. I mean, when they brought Christoph Waltz back in a. Uh, 
no time to die. I think we were already sick of him. So it's like too, not enough of one villain, too much of another. Yeah. I think they always ruin that, that franchise with Daniel Craig by not making them standalone movies and trying to follow a story. It yeah. doesn't work with Bond. You need each yeah. one needs to be a different story. Yeah, there's no need because mm. no. you're already getting in these big actors anyway. You know, to create a new story. Yeah, and that and that and that's the the carrying on's never the best bit. Absolutely, the only things that need to carry on besides Bond are your M's, your Q's. Mm. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's it. And they don't even need to be the same actors from each one. I mean, it wouldn't matter. No. Who, they I mean, really yeah, wouldn't. Everyone always says who's the favourite um, Bond, but who's your favourite uh, Q? Well, it's always going to be... Was it Desmond Llewellyn? Desmond Is that, Llewellyn. It? Yeah, it's going to be because that's who I grew up with. But, yeah. Well, because he made it into the Brosnan ones as well. He's um, He just did, didn't he? Yeah, yeah just about. Yeah, and John Cleese took over, didn't he? Yeah, John Cleese. You know, he. I thought he was an all right cue in some bad Bond films. Yeah, because um, he's only in three, and the not three of the best. No, um, no. But then, yeah. But now, if I rewatch it and uh, I see the new ones where where it's Ben Whishaw, I just hear Paddington. So yeah. Really, <laughs> who knows? I do love Paddington. Do you love Paddington? Right. I'll be honest. I I think there are some older films, versions of Paddington, and it crossed my mind. Can I, therefore, include it in the remakes podcast just so we can talk about Paddington? <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, I'm being sort of sensible here. Well, you no, know, that's all good. Right. So my number three was The Fly, 1986, with Jeff Goldblum. Um. So we're back to your number two, then, Doug. Okay, my number two, uh, based on what we said earlier, Reed Disney, I don't imagine this is going to match yours, but uh, it is The Jungle Book 2016. Okay. For me, this, this is the exception on um, on Disney remakes. Um, this this is the one that I absolutely love. Um, it's, it's probably a little... I'm reading my list now, and I'm even surprising myself how high it is, but... Uh, when I talked to you about doing this podcast, it, it was never, it was always going to be somewhere up there. Mm. Um, I just think it it separates itself from the others. A remake, uh, you know, is a retelling. Uh, so it's a retelling of the novel by Rudyard Kipling, um, and it sort of does it sticks to that book like fairly well in a different way to the nineteen sixty seven version. Yeah. It's also obviously a total remake um, of the nineteen sixty seven version. Because you've got this, well, you've got the same studio. I think that's a big factor. Obviously, it's a it is a Disney remake, and it's got some of the same songs as well. Mm. And I, well, I mean, there's only two or three of them. And I remember when the trailer came out, and there was this like orchestral version of Bare Necessities. Um, I reckon if I get that up on YouTube now, I could still um, make my arm hairs stand up. Like it gives me the chills. Um, and I really, I like everything that John Favreau did with it, um, which is why I was so surprised when he butchered The Lion King, but um, never, never knew to talk about that. Mm. Um, really, really strong cast. You've got Bill Murray, Idris Elba. Um, I thought Scarlett Johansson was sort of wasted in it a little bit. Who does um, she play against? She's, she's Carr. That's um, right. Yeah. And this is the thing. It's so not what they've done with the others, where it's like a frame for frame, quote for quote, Mm. Uh, remake of, of one of the others because in um in the 67 version 
Hart is Sterling Holloway, who's, you know, a really um, prominent Disney actor. You know, he was winning yeah. the um, that nice little mouse from the Aristocats. Uh, Rock, oh, he's named after a cheese, Rockfoot, I want to say. Um, he had that really high-pitched, creepy voice That's when, right. he, when he's hypnotising you. Um, if anyone has Disney Plus and hasn't seen the 100th anniversary short, Once Upon a Studio, and, and you love your Disney, watch the hell out of that, by the way. Stop what you're doing. It's only about seven minutes long, but um, get you right in the feels. Yeah. Um, and and again, yeah, the Christopher Walken as King Louis, um, just being like a big gangster orangutan. Um, and Bill Murray's take on uh, Baloo was is again quite different. He's a bit of a hustler, you know, he's he's getting Mowgli to work for him, which the Phil Harris nineteen sixties Baloo certainly wouldn't have done. No. Um, there was there was another version of this story called Mowgli, which is a Netflix film. Oh yes, I didn't watch it. Andy Circus, isn't it? Andy Circus, yeah. And he and he's he's a bit of a brute. He's almost like like a if one of the crays could be a, a bear. Um that's what, what he reminded me of. He's re- really quite unpleasant. <laughs> um so you know, you, you can always have a different take mm? on, on these characters. Um but yeah, I just think it holds up really well. It looks amazing. I mean it's a live action remake, but apart from the kid who plays Mowgli, it's it's just CGI. Yeah, and it just looks gorgeous. It's John so, Favreau, isn't it? Again, John Favreau, yeah, yeah. You know, he's done so many great things. He's, you know, Elf, The Mandalorian, Iron Man. Mm. I just don't understand why he did Lion King the way he did, but I think it was a precursor to the technology that he ended up using to create the Star Wars universes and that, and how they filmed. That's my thing. You know, he's hired by Disney. Yeah. But if you think about it, it, it's a lot of the effects he now has mastered and he uses on The Mandalorian and the other bits that he's doing. I see, as we record this today, they've announced a Mandalorian movie. They have Ma- The Mandalorian and Grogu. Yeah. Um, I I don't want to... Well, I, I guess if people list, know that that movie's happening, they obviously know that neither character dies. Um mm at the end of series three of Mandalorian, so otherwise they wouldn't be making the film. No. It's not really a spoiler, but um, and anyone uh, who hasn't seen it and loves Star Wars should definitely watch The Mandalorian. Yeah, uh, especially the first series. The first series. I think the first two uh, are, are spot on. Um, yeah. And then the third one loses it a little bit for me, and I know for a lot of people, but... Do you know, the funny they, thing is, though, I can't be... even remember the ending of... Um... The third series now. <laughs> well, interestingly enough, I was gonna say they it's a fairly chilled ending. They're just sort of sitting there enjoying themselves. And it really did remind me of this the end of this version of the jungle book, where Baloo and Bagheer and Mowgli are just sitting on the tree. Spoilers, sorry, Mowgli doesn't get eaten by Shere Khan. <laughs> Not in this version. Um sorry, listeners. Um it uh, genuinely did think that's that's what it reminds me of. Um, although I'm hoping they'll just leave the Jungle Book alone now. Yeah, uh, yeah, they do. Crying out loud, they're making like a Mufasa film um, this year oh, or next year. Like, why? Just let James Earl Jones enjoy retirement, please. Yeah, and why? Why are Disney so adamant they can't make anything new? Yeah, at the I, moment, I know. it's like by all means make. Um, well, I was gonna, yeah, make make a like an origin story, or 
I, I really liked what they did with saving Mr. Banks, you know, make a film about how it was made, something like mm. that I can find interesting. Yeah, absolutely. But, but it's still an original screenplay, isn't it? I mean, the remakes that they do, I mean, they're going to do Snow White again. Yeah, the, although hasn't the actress been dismissed from that now, I think, or something? Oh, They've got to start it again or something. But yeah, we don't need it. Oh, it's a cash cow, isn't it, for them? Let's be honest, it is a cash cow. But I just wish they were all like the Jungle Book, whereas pretty much every other one that I've seen either is frame for frame, script for script the same, mm. therefore pretty pointless. Or you've got Tim Burton takes on Alice in Wonderland and just makes it weird. Yeah. I just, uh, yeah, I'm not a fan of those either, actually. I didn't mind Beauty and the Beast. I wouldn't say I was a fan. I didn't mind it. It was all yeah. right. Probably probably my second, yeah. Yeah, like I said, you could just as easily watch the cartoon and still be in the same frame of mind. Oh, and do you know what? I mean, it came out last year, I think it was. The Little Mermaid wasn't bad. That was okay, to be honest. It was all right. Again, it wasn't needed, though, was it? It's just not needed. But, hey, you know, who are we to judge? They're obviously making their billions and sitting and counting it. Right, my number two is Heat. Robert De Niro again. Al Pacino, Michael Mann remade his own movie and made it an absolute crime classic. Um, Al Pacino hams it up in it. I don't think he's the best performer in it. I think that goes to De Niro in this one. But the the electricity, when you finally got the two of them to sit in that 10-minute scene in the diner, you can feel the electricity. You wanted a lot more. But I think we got it perfectly in there. Was that that was their only film together pre? Um, I mean, Bad- Godfather Part Two, but they never acted oh, together. Yeah, yeah. Um, the the first, yeah, I know what you mean. Um, but the first time to act together, to isn't see it? See that chemistry, like mm. yeah. And especially as they're you know they're lifelong friends, they've known each other since they both started out. I'd have thought they'd have done more, but then they went on to make some awful shite, didn't they, with Righteous Kill and all of this together. And you think, what a waste. We saw the excitement of what Heat was going to give to us. But yeah, what could it be? But I love the direction of this. I like Michael Mann. I like the way he satirizes the colors in his movies. I wasn't a big fan of Miami Vice. That was boring, but I did like the TV series. But I think Michael Mann's another one who's a great, a great director the insider with russell crowe al pacino is another one if you ever get a chance to see it um a lot of films but this i think probably is my favorite he also made the first hannibal lecter movie didn't he michael Michael Mann. Mann. yeah it was called manhunter because you know what um i've lived a very i've lived a very sheltered life (laughs) Mm. where he's concerned i'm just but a lot of people don't realize that it was because they changed the name to manhunter it's basically red dragon it's the first version of red dragon and if you look if you read the books and all around that era excuse me the reason they told it manhunter was that the studio thought red dragon sounded too much like a martial arts film i mean did you know okay yeah i i I can get that as well yeah Um... They're making Heat too, with Michael Mann. Um, well, Michael Mann says he has plans for Heat too, so that that that'll be him at the helm, as it were. Yeah. Well, I don't. Have you seen Heat? Yeah. 
I'm well, gonna, I'm not going to say I why. Just, I just googled it now because I was googled Michael Mann to see what else he's done. Oh. So I was going to say I don't know how that would work because one of the character main characters it w- couldn't be in it unless they did a prequel. But then they'd have to be younger than they were. Wait, was, was Michael Mann involved in the original as well? L.A. Takedown or whatever they called it. Yeah, because he's talking about Val Kilmer. He's not talking about oh god. Because Val Kilmer's no longer with us now, is he? Right. Um, it's, I'm, I wonder if I mean, or are they going to do that horrible thing where they recast someone and and mm. like you know what they did with um? I'm trying to think one of the earliest examples, probably in Rogue One with uh, Tarkin. Oh yeah, um, and it was Guy. Ah, uh, mine. What I thought was sort of semi encyclopedic knowledge of actors' names. Um, Guy Henry. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, was CGI'd as Peter Cushing. Uh, I mean, I mean, and then obviously the Irishman, they did all the de-aging, but I mean, that's... Yeah, and in the new Indiana Jones, where it just looked weird with a really young-looking Harrison Ford, but walked like an 80-year-old. Yeah, um, I really yeah. hope... But he, I mean, I can understand the storyline. He, and he planned one. He planned one, but I don't think it'll actually go ahead. All uh, right. Yeah. I was going to say, phew. But um, it's got. If there's a great, if you can find any of the extras, it could well be on YouTube now. Um, about how they choreographed that street gunfight, which I still think is the best gunfight in movie history. Now, oh, God, they yeah. trained properly um, to do that, and it's yeah. I say anybody that hasn't seen Heat, give yourself over to absolute pleasure. You'll enjoy it immensely. Um, I um, I'll be honest as well. I went. I forgot it was a remake. Um, uh, whoops. No, it's all right. We all forget great things. Hey, I thought I forgot the Endgame was the fourth in a trilogy of movies. That's how bad some of them were. Well, yeah. Uh, yeah. When we did our fourth instalment, I completely forgot that Endgame was the fourth one. But hey, you know, it happens, though. Right, we're at our number one. It just means that it's worthy of being on that list because it is so good. It is so good. It is a fantastic movie. Right then, Doug, let's have your countdown from 10 to 2 because we're about to do our number ones. Right, so um, my number 10 was King Kong, 9, Freaky Friday, 8, The Fly, 7, Bram Stoker's Dracula, Six, it chapter one, five, Del Toro's Pinocchio, four, A Star is Born, three, Casino Royale, and two, The Jungle Book. And mine is at number 10, The Grudge 2004, at number nine, it chapter one, at number eight, Invasion of the Body Snatchers, the 78 version, number seven, Cape Fear 1991, number six, Little Shop of Horrors 1986. Number five, True Lies, 1994. Four, Scarface, uh, which is 83. Number three, The Fly, 86. Number two, Heat, 1995. So, Dougie, what is your number one film? My number one film remake is The Departed. Ah, okay, yeah. Not the same as me. Not the same as you. No. No. I, it was in and out of my top ten, I'll be yeah, honest. But... Yeah, bad play. Um, this is an example of a film that's a re- it's remade of something that isn't based on a novel. It's not a retelling. It's not a reboot. 
a reboot. It is straight up a remake. Uh, it was Brad Pitt's um, company, I believe, who bought the rights to um, the original, which was Infernal Affairs, which was only four years earlier. So it's uh, mm -hmm. 2002, this is 2006. It's Martin Scorsese. Um, probably not my number one Scorsese film. It's a thought for another day, but it's definitely up there. Uh, I think it's it's fantastic. It won four Oscars. Um, well, well worthy of those. Mm. Um, the cast again. You got Nicholson. You got Matt Damon, uh, DiCaprio, Martin Sheen, Vera Farminger, uh, Ray Winston. Oh yeah, Ray Winston, which might not be the best bit. Um, and the the guy that steals the show for me is Mark Wahlberg. Mm. Um, absolutely brilliant in that. But best, my favorite. Mark Wahlberg role, um, for sure. Um, sorry, Ted. <laughs> or Boogie Nights. Yeah, he's... Um, and yeah, this is a film. Uh, it, it It's Scorsese, so it's, I think it's two and a half hours long, but they fly by because there's so much going on. There's two, mm. obviously, big storylines to follow that come intertwining in and out. Uh, I think, like, Nicholson is just having fun with it. At this point, you know, we've seen him as Jack Torrance. We've seen him as the Joker. Um, we're seeing him as a gangster. He, he can just be as silly, as crazy as he likes. Mm. Um, I think it's edited. I think one one of the Oscars that it got was for editing, um, which would be completely fair uh, because you follow it so, so well. Mm. It's uh, Despite the fact that there's so much going on, it's very digestible. And um, it's it's got everything, you know, it's got really good plot twists towards the end and um, just lots of really nice frames. Um, and this, there's a frame. So, so with uh, DiCaprio and Damon, their storylines opposing each other. And you've got Damon there is the rat, you know, the spy in the Boston police. Mm. And there's actually a visual um, of a rat on a window ledge uh, to symbolize the actual rat, which uh i've heard some people say he's like pretty in your face i think no <laughs> like completely forgive and forget uh not no sorry completely forgive not forget mm. um and yeah i think when we again when we talked about remakes that was most likely to be my number one and it, it's made it yeah i'm a huge fan of infernal affairs and then there's infernal affairs 2 which is very good as well yeah, i'm three uh, oh yeah and three of course yeah. but yeah i'm a huge fan of those movies and i really like the departed and again it was one of those ones that was in and then was out and then was in and it's should, like we say with all of these lists it should be a top 20 but you're quite right it's great it's a great watch and nicholson is very much a great watch i do enjoy a, a good bit of jack on the screen <clears throat> right my number one is a remake and it's the thing 1982 oh yeah 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 this is i quite often on these podcasts you probably heard it when you've listened to them though is i very much love uh, very much talk about what i call a perfect movie you know from start to end wherever you watch it you can pick it up and the thing to me is one of those movies from the time i saw it and was so scared after the the opening scene with the dog um episode that it took me a few years from being about 12 up to whatever age to be get the balls to watch it watched it and i've loved it ever since and i probably 
watch it at least once a year still because I just think it's genius. Uh, I think the creature effects hold up. John Carpenter, I think it's probably his, it must be his best film, closely followed by Halloween. But it's just got everything. And Kurt Russell is fantastic. And it's got such a downbeat ending, which I know sounds a bit sad, but I do love a good downbeat ending. It takes away from what you're expecting. <laughs> and I just think it's got everything. Really do. And a great documentary about the making of it, if you ever get the chance to see that. I um I've been trying to watch this. I uh, I haven't seen it. I'm going to. Yeah. Um, uh, I love uh, John Carpenter's Halloween, so I I know I will love it. I just haven't sat down. Um, I thought I'd get a chance over Christmas to sit down and watch it, but it's I work in hospitality. Yeah, so, uh, yeah. Christmas is uh, not the time. Not a spare few minutes. I know I've been too busy watching <laughs> Wonderful Life and the Grinch and all that crap. Mm. Um, but yeah, now I was annoyed that I got as far as tonight recording this and still haven't yeah. watched it. So that was already on my list. Highly recommend. Uh, I knew one. you were a really big fan because I think it you mentioned it on other mm. episodes that I listened to. So yeah, that's that. That yeah, I will. I'll hundred percent be watching that. Good. Very soon. Fantastic. Yeah. No, I would highly recommend that one. Great creature features in it. Well, thank you very much, Doug. We've come to the end. It was a bit different without our fellow Pav in here and we can't mock his choices like we normally do and everything. But um, I have got a couple of shout-outs, which I would love to give. Uh, not many, just a couple. So Vicky Polson, her favourite uh, remake is The Magnificent Seven with Denzel. Um, Kareem Pasta, Ocean's Eleven. Now, that was my number 10 for ages, and that dropped in and out. Yeah, no, that was on my radar. You can forget about 12 and 13, but Ocean's Eleven is still fantastic. And Stu Grant says, Dawn of the Dead, it was a pretty good remake. It was great until the baby scene. And Uh, if you've seen Dawn of the Dead, the remake, you'd know what I'm on about. We don't do zombie babies. It just doesn't look right. It never looks right. It always looks shockingly shit. But a fairly decent... And I didn't like the fact they were fast zombies and not slow zombies, but that's a whole nother discussion on that one, Stu. Whole nother discussion. Um, so I'll just give a, a quick um, shout out to um, where you can find us on all the socials and everything. You can find us on social media at Top 10 Pods. You can email us at top10pods at hotmail.com. You can help support the podcast at patreon.com forward slash top 10 pods like Doug does. Thank you very much, Doug. Always well appreciated it. Check out all the links via the link tree and please come and subscribe and review the podcast wherever you download it. So once again, thank you very much for letting me bore you, Doug. (laughs) With just me on my own. I thought this was going to be a really short episode without Pav, but um, just looking, it's uh, probably going to be one of the longer ones. It is, but that's not a problem because there's Um, so many great remakes and it's so grateful to have somebody with a strong opinion like everybody else on these programmes. And I really thought we'd have a lot of crossovers. I thought, So did I, to be honest. So, like, um, there's so many um, podcasts you've done uh, where you've done, like, Best Film or uh, Best Song from the 80s where you don't have any crossovers really. So there's so much more to talk mm. about and there's three of you. Whereas we, we've had a handful. What, how many crossovers did we have? We had The Fly. And It. And It. That was it, wasn't it? Yeah. That was it. That uh, was it. But fantastic. Yeah, so, 
I think it was highly fascinating and we are probably with you Doug I could have carried on chatting all night but unfortunately memory space on podcasts and things like that probably wouldn't allow it we'll have to do a part two but we will put some of the ideas you put forward email them across to us um, Doug and we will absolutely look into those because they were great ideas oh excuse me Um, so once again thank you very much for joining me um and uh, as I say, sorry the other half wasn't here, but thank you. He'll be listening uh, at some point and they'll be ripping the piss out of us one way or another. Oh, no. Uh, he can never he can never comment since he put The Shining at number 10 in ghost movies. Um, that will always haunt him. Ah, see what he did there. Mm, there you are. There you are. Right. Thank you very much, everybody, for listening. So let's start the countdown. 10. Nine.